going to have uh, two Bible readings this morning, and the first of them is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you picked up a Bible at the door, one of the church Bibles there as you came in, you'll find that reading on page 965. 2 Corinthians 4, this is a, a hugely significant passage about the nature of the gospel ministry that we have and what it is that God does for men and women as He opens their eyes to the reality of Christ and how He empowers us in our weakness to go on testifying to Him. 2 Corinthians 4, reading from verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Amen. Good morning. Well, please do turn your Bibles again. We're going to turn to the letter to the Galatians, or the letter of Paul to the Galatian church. And if you're using a church Bible, that's page 974. 974. And we're going to read the first 11 verses of that chapter. Paul's in the, in the midst of a fairly complicated and complex argument, speaking about heirs and promises. Uh, and he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that, are, that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come now to consider our topic for this morning, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, and that we would have our hearts warmed and have an increasing love for you and the Savior. We ask this in his strong name. Amen. Well, it seems like a glaringly obvious thing to say, but the relationships we have in life have a great impact on each one of us, don't they? For example, our parents and our siblings, if we have any, all all shape our, our lives. Now, of course, that might not always have been a positive impact. Many of us will have had happy homes with loving families, but many of us might not. Those relationships might not have been what we wished they had been. By the way, for good or ill, they have had an impact upon us. Maybe you can think of particular instances when you're, you're with your parents that have hugely shaped your lives. Relationships also can have an impact on us in their absence as well, can't they? Maybe you lost a loved one, a father or mother or a sibling early in life. In those instances, the lack of relationship shapes us, often painfully. Whatever relationships you may or may not have had in life, in the family or beyond the family, or how good those relationships have been, it's fairly clear that they have a great impact on our lives. So I think it should be no surprise then that if we know God, if we have a relationship with Him, then this knowledge, this relationship will have an impact on our lives. In fact, it it would seem odd if it didn't to claim to know God, to have a relationship with God, and yet to be unchanged makes no sense. If we are changed by relationships with other humans, how much more should we be changed if we come to know the God of the universe who created all things and who has saved us in His Son? But if knowing God clearly has an impact on us, we might then ask, well, what sort of impact will knowing God have upon us? What changes does knowing God bring about in our lives? Well, over the course of the next few minutes, we're going to take a brief look at that question. What is the impact of knowing God? What is the impact of knowing God? And as we do so, the first thing we'll see is that Christian conversion is coming to know God. Christian conversion is coming to know God. Well, as we think about knowing God, and we've been doing that over the the past few weeks, it can be easy, I think, to fall into a very easy mistake. And that is the mistake of thinking that that knowing God is some special stage in Christian discipleship. To think that this sermon series that we're in the midst of 
is to help you push on to, to a new stage in your Christian discipleship where you will really learn to know God, where you will finally bloom into the knowledge of God. But I think the clear teaching of the Bible is that knowing God is not a secondary stage in the Christian life. It is not the advanced higher in Christianity. It is not the PhD in divine relationality. Instead, to know God is to be a Christian. Not a flash Christian, not a clever Christian, not a particularly spiritual Christian, as if there is a hierarchy. Not a more mature Christian. To come to know God is to be converted, to be a Christian. And we see this, I think, quite clearly in the passage we read out earlier from 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. Paul says in verse 6 of that passage, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul seems to be speaking about conversion in these verses. And what he makes clear is that conversion is coming to know God. God, by his creative power, works in us so that we come to know God in Jesus. That is what coming to faith is all about. It is coming to know God and his glory in and through Jesus Christ. Elsewhere, Paul implies that to know God is to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see this in the, le- the second letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, verse 8, where when he's speaking about those who face God's wrath and anger, he describes them as those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So if we reverse that statement, then those who don't face God's wrath and anger are those who know God and those who obey the gospel. In other words, as we look at both those texts, it seems fairly clear that to know God seems to be another way of speaking about being a Christian. Coming to faith is coming to know God. Knowing God is hearing and responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So knowing God is not a bolt-on to the Christian faith. It's not an optional extra. You don't add it to the gospel package some point later in your walk of faith. It's not a higher level to attain to once you've been a Christian for a while. Knowing God and being a Christian are synonymous. In other words, to come to know God is to come to faith in Christ. And that might seem like a really obvious thing to say, an obvious truth to grasp, but it is essential. To come to faith in Christ is to come to know God. And we need to keep reasserting this, for if we don't, then we can fall into the error or the false teacher will come along and captivate us with their teaching of the promise of a higher life, of our best life now. Or they will try to sell us some spiritual experience where they claim we will now truly know God. To such things we must say no. We must affirm that to be a Christian is to come to know God. And that is the great privilege of the Christian faith, that we know and are known by God. The glorious God of the universe makes himself known to us, to people who don't deserve to know him. In his grace, he makes himself known to us. 
And that's the first impact of knowing God. We become Christians. We come to true faith in Christ and his gospel. But of course, coming to faith is not the only impact of knowing God. Once we come to know God through faith in Christ, that is not the end of the story of our lives in this world. We will all have a period of time living in this world as Christian people, knowing God before we're called home to be with God forever. And that takes us to our second heading, namely Christian living is the fruit of knowing God. Christian living is the fruit of knowing God. I wonder if um, if you've seen any fruit on the trees yet. I don't think it's probably the time of year, is it? And if, you, if I see fruit in somebody's garden, I, I'm general, genuinely amazed normally that they can produce such beautiful things. I am not a natural gardener. Maybe you are somebody who's got great skill in gardening. Maybe you have um, brought forth much fruit from your garden over the years. I don't know. But when we see fruit, I wonder what you think. Because it's important when we look at fruit to realize that it's, it's not the start of anything, is it? It's the end of a, of, a, of a process that's been going on. The fruit grows because of the life in the fruit tree, whether that's an apple or an orange or whatever. The fruit does not bring itself into existence. It is something that comes forth because a tree turns light, water, and nutrients in the ground into fruit. The fruit is the result of the life of the tree. And the same can be said for our Christian lives. As we know God, knowing Him impacts upon us, shaping us, so much so that we can say that our lives as Christians are the fruit of our knowing God. And as we go through life, this manifests itself in a number of ways. And the first very obvious way that knowing God brings forth the fruit of Christian living is that that as we know God and are known by Him, we will seek to live increasingly holy lives. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3 to 5, we hear the Apostle Paul write, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So by saying that, and taking aside the specifics that he's identifying, Paul makes it clear that the will of God is our sanctification, our growth in holiness. And that's contrasted with living like those who do not know God. So the point we can draw is that if you know God, then holiness and the pursuit of it should be there in your life. And of course, the reason that this is possible for the Christian is because in knowing God, we have been set free from what previously enslaved us. Paul made that very clear in the passage we read from the letter to the Galatians. He says in verses 8 to 9, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul assumes that if you're a Christian, if you have come to know God, then you have been freed from what previously enslaved. 
that you should not be going back to these things. You need to be reminded of this, of course, yes. But the reality is that you are free to live for God. All because you know God. And the way that such holy living manifests itself is that we will love other Christian people. In other words, knowing God has an impact not just on us, but on how we treat others. We see this in the first letter of the Apostle John. He writes in chapter 4, verses 78, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So as we know God, we will know his love, the love that he has for us in Christ, and that will lead to us loving others. And this life of love, as we know God and Christ throughout life, will be seen in our actions. Paul says in Titus 1 verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. So there's a correlation between knowing God and what we do. So if we know God, our lives must work out in that way. We must love others. We must live holy lives. And this will be visible. It will be seen in what we do, in our actions. Now, of course, evidently, this does not always work out to be the case for Christian people. And that's why these parts of the Bible were written. They reminded the original readers and us today that knowing God should have an impact on our lives. And it's easy, of course, to hear those parts of the Bible and think, well, if these things aren't present in our lives, then we must not know God. And therefore, we're not Christians. We can have our assurance that we belong to God shaken. But I don't think the point of these verses is to drive us to despair. The point of them is to remind us that if we know God, we have been the recipients of his love and that knowing God should lead to changed living. These, bi- these parts of the Bible aren't meant to crush us, but they are meant to challenge. They are meant to remind us that knowing God is a life-giving relationship. And that if we know God, that means that we should change. And knowing God in Christ gives us motivation to change. Just think of the verses that follow on from the ones we looked at in 1 John 4. We hear in the next few verses the following. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John is reminding his readers again of the God that they know so that they have motivation to live in light of knowing him. And that is in part how these texts function. We are reminded that if we know God, then we should lead changed lives. And therefore, they drive us back to God. They call us to recenter our lives on him and that by knowing him, we might be changed. 
And this ongoing change in our lives, this recentering on God, this knowing Him, <coughs> will help us to face suffering. Because we know God and we know His promises, we will face the pains and sorrows of life with hope of better things to come. Paul speaks beautifully of this in Romans chapter 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And a few, some verses over, he says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor, thing, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul knew his God in the face of Christ so he could face sorrows and difficulties knowing the unbreakable love of God in Christ for his people. Knowing God helps us to face hardship and sorrow. And in addition to all these impacts on our ongoing Christian life, knowing God will also cause us to be those who seek to increase in our knowledge of God. And that makes sense, doesn't it? We need, we need to grow in holiness over the course of our life. So it doesn't seem strange at all, or at least it shouldn't, that we should also in tandem need to grow in our knowledge of God. This growth in the knowledge of God is what Paul prays for, for Christian people. In Colossae, in the letter to the Colossians, he says that amongst other things that they would be increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, although we've looked at all these examples fairly briefly, we've been going at breakneck speed, and we could, we could consider them in much more depth. What I think is clear is that knowing God has a deep and very practical impact on how we live as, our Christian, as Christians today. It is not airy-fairy stuff. It is not stuff that you can just think, well, that's for someone else. No, knowing, God, knowing God changes our Christian walk. It impacts our pursuit of holiness. It impacts how we think of suffering. It is something that we should be growing in. Knowing God is intertwined with living as a Christian. Just as coming to faith was coming to know God, living for Christ now is the fruit of knowing God. Well, in addition to coming to know God and then seeing the fruit of knowing God in our lives, knowing God also impacts on our witness to Christ. And this takes us to our third and final heading. Christian witness is driven by knowing God. Christian witness is driven by knowing God. Now, this is the point in the sermon when most Christians in the room, if they've not already got bored or distracted with what I'm saying, will immediately start thinking about Sunday lunch we're thinking about other things because they don't want to listen to this part of the sermon. Because this is the part when a preacher starts talking about Christian witness or evangelism, and the average Christian thinks, well, I'm going to get hammered for the next five minutes for, for not telling people enough, for not being motivated enough to, to get out there and evangelize. And maybe there is a place for those sorts of challenges. But what I want us to think for a few moments, without getting into all those sorts of things, is how knowing God impacts our witness. And we're just going to look at a few verses as we do so. In his second letter to the Corinthian church, Paul says the following in chapter 2. He says, 
But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to other a fragrance from life to life. (coughs) Paul is speaking here rather colorfully about his ministry of taking the good news of Jesus Christ out to the world. One of the first great Christian missionaries And as he does so, he speaks about the fragrance of the knowledge of God. And some people will react well to that smell, and others not so well. But what is interesting in what we read is that either way, the smell that they give off, that fragrance, that aroma, the fragrance of the knowledge of God is noticeable, isn't it? People clearly react. So we could put it another way. What they know of God is clear and noticeable to others, so much so that people react to it, either positively or negatively. Paul and his friends, as they go out and about telling people about Jesus, are spreading the knowledge of God. And they are doing so in a way that people know about it and respond to it. It's no secret. And I wonder if that would be a good diagnostic for us as Christian people if we want to think about our witness for Jesus. Firstly, are we spreading the knowledge of God? Are we sharing what we know about God with those around us? For it's easy, isn't it, as Christian people, to to default to abstract categories or to a simplistic message when we try to share the gospel. We think about it more like a, a formula or an equation rather than about sharing about the one that we've come to know. But that's what we must do. We must share about the one we've come to know. We spread the knowledge of God. That's our call to speak of Him. Not to speak in equations and diagrams, but to speak of God, whom we have come to know. And secondly, are we doing so noticeably? Suppose maybe to put it in a maybe brutal way, and I'm sure this is not the case of any of you, but do people smell us? Do they smell our Christian witness? Or are we so subtle, like one of those plug-in aroma things that you might have at your house, so subtle that people do not even know we are there? That, of course, is not what Paul is doing. He is noticeable, and people are reacting. Now, of course, we are not Paul. We were not called to do what he did. But we can still share what we have come to know about God with others in a noticeable way. We can speak about how God has helped us through tough times in life. We can speak about the love that God has showed to us by sending his son to save us so that we can know him. We can speak about the glorious transcendent creator God who who has drawn near to us We can't convert people, of course. But we can spread around the smell, the aroma, the fragrance of what we know of God. We can share all that we know of God with others. And we should do so in a way that they will notice and respond to. 
Knowing God has and should have a deep impact upon each one of us if we're Christian people. As we come to know God, we come to faith. Knowing God means that we will know God and be changed by Him in our life. And knowing God fuels our witness to Christ. In all these things, we are a privileged people. We have come to know and be known by God in Christ. Let us, if we're Christian people today, therefore live for and speak of the one we have come to know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the privilege that it is to know you, to have come to know you in Christ Jesus, and to continue to know you as we walk with you as your followers in this life. What privilege it is to make you known, the knowledge of you known to others. We pray that you would remind us of that privilege of knowing you in Christ and that you would continue to impact, to change our lives, to see us to be those who who want to bound forth and tell others about how good you have been to us, to speak of you in our day-to-day lives. Help us not to do so out of duty or burden, back of love, of that life-giving relationship of knowing you in Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.